Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Katie Hurley is a child and adolescent psychotherapist, a parent educator, a public speaker, and a writer. She is the founder of Girls Can, which is an empowerment group for girls between ages 5 and 11. Hurley is the author of the award-winning No More Mean Girls, The Secret to Raising Strong, Confident, and Compassionate Girls, as well as The Depression Workbook for Teens, Tools to Improve Your Mood, Build Self-Esteem, and Stay Motivated, and the Happy Kid Handbook, How to Raise Joyful Children in a Stressful World. She's also released a new book, and we're going to talk about this on the podcast, called The Stress Buster Workbook for Kids. Just so you know, Hurley covers mental health, child and adolescent development, and parenting for The Washington Post, PBS Parents, Psychology Today, Everyday Health, SciComm, and the U.S. News and World Report, among other places. She practices psychotherapy in the South Bay area of Los Angeles and earned her BA in psychology and women's studies from Boston College and her MSW, Master's of Social Work, from the University of Pennsylvania. She splits her time between Los Angeles, California, and the coastal Connecticut with her husband and two children. Welcome to the show, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for writing this book. I know you've been very busy. (laughs) Oh my gosh, we were just talking before hitting the record button of everything that you have on your plate and the fact that you got a resource out for children uh, during a pandemic with uh, all the other support is just astonishing to me. So thank you very much. Um, But I wanted to highlight what parents can and children can expect in this book and talk about its content and why it's so important to pick up. So can I just throw it back to you? What was the impetus for writing this book? 
Well, actually, my publisher came to me and said, you know, you've written these parenting books, which is great, but we really need more resources for kids that kids can use. And at first, they kind of framed it as, well, we want it to be something that clinicians and teachers can use with kids. And I thought, okay, that's something I can do. That sounds good. And, you know, definitely the more resources, the better. But as I started writing it and researching it, I felt very strongly that I needed to write it two kids. Like I needed something that they could use on their own or with their parents, but it didn't have to be something that came from a clinician or from a teacher. And we wanted them to be able to pick it up and flip through and know that first of all, tons of kids are going through a lot of stress right now. It's perfectly normal actually to be enduring a lot of stress and that they can learn about their brains and do something about it to decrease their own stress. And so what's the, the sweet spot for ages? That, who's your key audience here? So the book is marketed for ages four to 11. I mean, I would say seven to 11 is gonna, are probably gonna use the book really independently. I actually just got a message from a mom last night of a six-year-old who they started reading it together. And then the daughter said, you know, I'd, I'd like to do the next part on my own. And she said, okay. So she, she kind of shooed mom out of the room. And then she came out and she said, look, I, I made my feeling soup and was talking to her about it. And so I think that's a good indicator that even very young children can kind of pick it up. If you read the instructions with them for different things, they can understand and process their feelings on their own, which is what we want. Yeah. And that, well, and to your point, it is the workbook. They have to do the work, right? Even if they need a little parental support to understand whatever the concepts of the language, the, the working part is going to be at whatever level they put out. That's right. But it can be used by clinicians, teachers, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's. Absolutely. Yeah. A bunch of clinicians have kind of DM'd me on Instagram and reached out on Facebook to say, I'm using this in my practice. I use it in my practice. So, I mean, all of these exercises in this book are things, are tools I've developed over the years. I've been doing this for 24 plus years. I've worked with very little kids. I've, I'm trained in play therapy. I work with a lot of tweens and teens. So I have this sort of wealth of knowledge that I've accumulated over the years. And some of it, you know, I look at it and I go, oh, I remember when I first did this exercise and how I've changed it to adapt for more modern times or, you know, for certain ages. So, you know, this is kind of my career in a book in some ways. And so I do use it with my own clients and I, you know, I give them copies and we work through it together in session. And then I give them something to do, you know, until they see me again the next week. And it's a good connection tool, I think, for clinicians. Who needs this book? I mean, how do you know if you're a parent who has a kid that's stressed enough that they actually need to do like exercises in a book? I mean, well, for me personally, and and I, you know, I'm going to guess you're going to agree with me given we're both... <laughs> <laughs> rowing in similar boats, right? <laughs> Seriously rowing through this thing. Um, I say, just go ahead and give it to them, right? I mean, we want kids to, we want to be preemptive about this. Instead of waiting for kids to have stomach aches and headaches and sleeplessness and all those sort of hallmarks of, whoa, you're reaching toxic levels of stress. Let's give them a tool that they can pick away at here and there. You know, you don't need to do it every day. You don't need to do it in order. You can kind of pick and choose, but give them a tool they can keep on their desks and go back to so that they can start developing these coping skills and distress tolerance skills so that as obstacles arise, they know how to handle them. So Katie, wouldn't you say, and again, because we're like-minded, you know, um, one of the little silver linings of the pandemic is suddenly everyone started talking about resilience and coping skills and resiliency. And we're like, yeah, 
always like, sorry, it took a pandemic to kind of take people out at the knees, but you know, it doesn't always need to be a pandemic. I mean, this could be parents getting divorced. This could be getting a failing mark on a report card. This could be your best friend leaves you like moving to a different city. Life by its very nature is going to continually present us with stressors. And one of the things that you talk about in the book is the difference between that sort of situational stressor and that ongoing stressor. So, you know, can you, can you speak to that and why I'm so excited? Yes, preventively, anytime we always need to be working on this as human beings, it's part of our functioning. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, look, the the pandemic is the obvious situational stress that we've been under for 22 months and counting or whatever it's been. And and even as kids have gone back to school here and, you know, everywhere has been a little bit different. Right. And so, you know, parts of America were in school all along and then parts were, were really not in school at all. And so even as kids have gone back and with the new protections in place, I've been called by schools. I mean, almost every day I get a a plea from a school. What's going on? What's happening? And what we're finding is they're all reporting the same things, which is the social lag that affected these kids. You know, everybody worried about the academics, but it really was the social developmental period that got put on pause, especially for very young children, because the teens at least connect through social media, which is not always great, but it's not always bad, and through gaming and things. But young children, think of four or five, six-year-olds, you know, preschoolers skipped preschool and went right to kindergarten. Um, You know, kindergartners jumped up to second grade. They missed this sort of crucial period of social development and learning in live time with other kids around them. And so, you know, that's a huge situational stressor that we're just beginning to unpack right now as it's happening. But, you know, here in America and in other places across the world, the pressure for kids to perform is enormous. And it was before the pandemic started, you and I and everybody else, we've been screaming this into the echo chambers for years. We've got to slow down. We have got to let kids be kids. Um, We have to stop creating these little superstar everythings from soccer players to violinists at age five, because we're placing this pressure on these kids. And then they kind of grow up with this ongoing stress that's just broiling inside of them. Um, But then, like you say, you mentioned, you know, divorce, uh, chronic illness is another thing that can be an ongoing stressor for kids. Academic struggles can be an ongoing stressor for kids. So there's any number of things that sort of follow and percolate with us. So learning how to manage that is crucial. Well, I I love your sentiment there. Part is, yes, it's inevitable in life. So we need to teach our kids coping skills. And part of it is, and parents take some of the damn stress off them. (laughs) They don't need to be a concert violinist at five, you know? That's the thing we can do. We We can can do that. Stress off them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So tell me about how we um, identify some of the triggers and symptoms then. So a kid who's not managing well with their stress, because some kids actually have been pretty, you know, we, I think you would see this in your practice too. I had a certain cohort of kids who actually liked the pandemic. They were fine. They didn't have to go to school. They didn't have the social stress. They didn't have performance stress. They could do their little take home package, hand it in at the end of the week and spend the rest of their time with their family. They were happy, happy, happy. Going back to school was not good for them. But for the vast majority, I would say, say of mine, it was much more about being in these stressful situations. And even my uh, clientele that are in university, starting to understand, like, how do I know myself? Well, how do I know when it is too much? Like, what am I watching for? What am I looking for? What are those triggers and the symptomatology to put on their radar? 
Yeah. So, and interestingly, I was just talking with a group of middle schoolers yesterday at a school I visited. I talked to sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, and we kind of went through this and they were all nodding their heads. I could see the realization happening as I was talking about different symptoms. You know, the media always portrays stress and anxiety as this like very worried being who's, you know, talking really fast and moving and fidgeting all the time. But the truth is most often what kids first report are stomach aches, headaches, muscle aches, um, not being able to fall asleep or not being able to stay asleep at night, uh, just feeling really unmotivated. You might notice like if you're formally very social kid suddenly isn't social anymore or isn't wanting to do the things that he or she or they wanted to do before, that's usually a red flag that something's going on and that they're under a lot of stress. Irritability is a big marker of stress. So just kind of snapping about every little thing. Sometimes it can affect the appetite, but but more often you're seeing those psychosomatic physical complaints. Those come rolling in really quickly and really often. And when I said to these middle schoolers, you know, headaches, frequent headaches, you know, more than once a week are really a sign of stress. They a number of them nodded and just said, "Oh, that's what it is." So you know, really making that mind-body connection is a good first step, Um, you know, and even I always encourage parents, do this with them. So, you know, say to your kids, like for me, it's like, well, my shoulders and my neck hurt when I'm stressed. I know that that's where I hold all my tension in my body. My brain sends the tension there and I just hold it. And then I'm, I'm like in pain from it. And then they'll go, oh, well, it's my stomach that hurts. You know, so when we model it and we do this together, we kind of normalize it and also help kids make those connections. I had this thing with my daughters that I called the weight of the world index. I don't know how we came up with it. It was our own little family little line or whatever. And I would just check in with them and just say like, how is your weight of the world index going? You know, and it was sort of like the sum total of everything that is like on your back. Like that's just weighing down, you know? Um, But just asking meant that they had to kind of stop and do their own little inventory and just sort of check in and be mindful about it. Cause it's amazing how we just get on the gerbil wheel of life and just go, 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 go. And we don't stop to say, God, I'm clenching my teeth. I've ground my molars down or, you know, all the adults are no better. Sure. Right? Yeah. I talk about this with parents and educators all the time because what we're modeling and, and you, you know, we all know this, right? They do what we do, not what we say. So what we're all modeling is just trying to get through stress all the time. Like you said, you're on the hamster wheel. We never slow down. We never stop. We go from thing to thing. We snap a little bit. We get a little unfocused. You know, we have these symptoms of adult stress. We pay them no mind. We keep going. We keep adding on more things. Well, that's what kids are learning to do, you know? So what do we expect? You know, if this is what they see us doing all the time, not practicing any sort of self-care, not even acknowledging that we're under stress, how are they supposed to learn how to do that? You know, we have to do it for ourselves because that also helps them. So the book is really, you know, you 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 set up the educational part about stress and how that feels in the body. And there's a real educational component. But then you get into all these incredible strategies about, OK, so now you've identified it. Yes, you're stressed. This is, you know, not working for you. And then you've got like, oh, my gosh, like a million creative ideas. So I, 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 I want parents to get excited about this. So I want to go through a few and knowing that we're not going to hit all of them because my goodness, people, you need to go buy the book and the kids have to do the exercises themselves. They're not going to sit and listen to some adult podcast. They need to go do the activities. Um, so let's start with the first one. And you already mentioned it, uh, but I want you to expand on it. Talk about emotional granularity and the feeling soup. 
So emotional granularity yes. is adult language. <laughs> Feeling soup is. is the kid version, which I love that you have those. Yes. You can't talk to kids the way we talk to adults. So yeah, t- take it. No, over. but I am fond of saying to even little kids, I'm going to teach you a big word, a big psycholo- psychology word. And, and you're going to take this back to your friends and you're going to teach them something really cool um, because they do like that when we teach them the big words. But yeah, yeah so it's a or whatever it is from Sesame yeah. Street. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So emotional granularity essentially is understanding that there are emotions within emotions. So instead of just saying I'm mad, what does that even mean? Because first of all, mad can be a mask for a lot of things. You know, it can be anxiety. It can be lonely. It can be um, frustrated. It can be just feeling irritated. It can be hungry, you know? So there's all kinds of things that can contribute to feeling mad. When we practice emotional granularity, we're, we're not stopping at that one word. We're examining it. We're looking at it and saying, well, what are all the other things that are related to this and might be triggering this feeling of mad? So I ask kids to make their feeling soup, like, you know, tell me what your overall feeling is right now. And maybe they'll say stressed. Maybe they'll say uh, anxious. And I'll say, okay, what do you think are all the ingredients that that we need to put in that soup that cause that feeling of anxious, you know? And they'll say, well, worried about this. I'm tired. I'm, you know, um, confused. And they'll come up with all the words that relate to anxiety. And then we talk about all those words and how they all work together to kind of cause this one big soup of emotions that we call anxiety, right? Or anxious. So it's just a way of helping them pick out all the little things that contribute so that they can start working through them. And that it's okay that it's a little, that it's combined and complex. It's not so cut and dry, right? Not so cut and dry. Yeah. Uh, You know, you can be sad that Christmas got canceled, but you're kind of happy because you didn't really want to see grandma and grandpa because they, you know, (laughs) treat you not nicely or something. You know, you can can have both of those at the same time, right? (laughs) That's right. Yeah. And then, so you talked about this idea that there can be these masks and that, that our emotions can be a mask and that there's more behind that. And I think kids understand that concept of a mask. That's a very physical thing for them to identify. So, so talk about masks. Yeah. So I think there's an exercise in there too about unmasking feelings, it's called. And and so um, I often will use paper plates to make masks with kids uh, while they're with me. And, or, you know, even if it's a virtual session, I mean, if clinicians are listening, I've done this virtually and in person, but where we'll make a mask and say like, you know, what's the feeling that you've been dealing with most this week? Let's say it's anger. Okay. So we'll make an angry mask. And what does that look like? What does the face look like? You know, let's put that feeling into a visual so we can really look at it. But then we'll flip it and say, well, what's underneath that? Is there anything that's, let's talk about it. What were the times you felt the most angry? What was happening? You know, who was around? Who wasn't around? And we'll kind of explore where it came from. And then we'll figure out like, you know, well, loneliness was kind of driving that feeling of anger because I'm supposed to be learning from home, but my mom and dad are working all the time. So I'm alone all the time and I don't like it. And, and I feel lonely and I feel angry when I'm lonely. So then we'll flip it. And that backside of the mask becomes the loneliness mask or the isolated mask. And so, you know, it's just really helping them understand that sometimes we can show one feeling, even though we're feeling other feelings. And that's pretty normal. You know, my own daughter, who's 15, recently said to me, like, you know, sometimes I laugh when I'm nervous, when I'm anxious. And like, it's really weird that I do that. And I was like, no, it's not because it comes from the same place in your brain. It's the same feeling. It's just one time it's coming out as laughter. Another time it's coming out as nail biting, you know, or something. Um, but it's that same feeling, that same emotional response. And, and that's normal that we do that sometimes. 
Yeah. And how about, and how validating that all, like all emotions are fine. Yeah. (laughs) We don't need to constrict them to just the ones that parents like. We need to show them that you, you have a whole rainbow of emotions and that's part of the human experience and they're all, they can all show up to the party. That's all completely fine. Um, I was thinking about when I was looking at your book, um, one of the worksheets and I thought, oh, it's so good because it's, it's child centric. And I've seen the adult version in, in counseling whereby, you know, when you ask a kid to sort of name and identify how they're feeling, sometimes getting the language to that, they can't, they can't pull it out of them. No. But if you put something symbolically in front of them, like the emojis that you have in your worksheet or with adults, yeah. I've had like lists of feelings where I might, you know, when I say, how does that make you feel? And they might say, well, I was angry and I'm like, and more and, you know, but if I give them a sheet and they go and disrespected and discounted and humiliated and, oh, now we can, we can point to the words, yeah. but they can't, they can't necessarily pull them out. So for, so for kids, you've got this, that, that great, you know, piece in there too. Yeah. And I often encourage parents to um, make feelings check-in stations like that they can put on their fridge or somewhere that they all spend a lot of time where, and for kids, it's like, pick something they like, you know? So if there's a favorite movie or cartoon character that they like, look online and find different facial expressions with that character and use that to start your check-in board. So get a happy one and get an anxious one and get a lonely one and get a loved one and get a confused one and, and make a whole board. And then, you know, you can kind of just put clothes pins each, you know, a couple times a day to check in where you are on that board. But this is how kids develop granularity. It's how they develop language for their feelings, because I don't know about you, but I find so many middle schoolers even sit on my couch and don't know a lot of feelings. You know, they know three or four feelings um, and they don't know how to describe what they're going through. So when we develop language for it, that opens doors to communicating. And then in that, think about that in your, in, you know, again, to our adult lives where you, maybe you have a couple that's sitting, having marriage counseling and they're learning how to communicate. And if you don't know how to tell your partner, you know, when you do X, I feel Y, this is where it begins. It begins in childhood to, to know it, to name it, to see it, to understand, right? That anxiety is different than excitement, that, that anger has a bunch of different flavors. Like that's all part of that emotional intelligence training that we have to assist with. Yeah. And I find with little kids too, especially, and that's why this book was meaningful to me in a lot of ways, but with little kids, our tendency as adults, and I'm sure I'm guilty of it as a mom, you know, not as a therapist, but as a mom, our, our instinct is to say to them, like, uh, don't worry or calm down or don't be mad you know, or why are you so angry? Don't be angry. You know, we're always like dismissing negative emotions. And then we're kind of just giving them these trite statements. Like we just calm down, take a breath, calm down. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. We say that to kids all the time. And it's like, first of all, it's okay if they're not fine. Um, And second of all, like maybe they're really not fine right now. And if we can connect with them, you know, all of this, all of this coping, you know, learning to deal with feelings, it all begins on a relational level. So they need the attachment, they need the connection, they need the relationship if they're going to do any of these things. So that begins with us being better listeners. Oh, I, I can't tell you how many times I repeat again and again and again, because I learn it deeper and deeper after 20 years of practice and 58 years as a human being in this planet. <laughs> I learn, I still learn again and again, deeper and deeper. It all comes down to relationship. It does. 
Yeah. I mean, not that there isn't more above and beyond that, but I just, every time I keep like, I can still have epiphanies about, oh my God, that's a relationship based solution that it needs relationship and that's going to get solved. And whether that's the pandemic or whether that is student teacher relationships and kids marks dropping or, you know, teens being sexually promiscuous or whatever, like it, you know, when you get down to problem solving at the heart of that, good, strong, human, healthy relationships just yeah. seems to be like, whatever, that's the the golden nugget, the silver bullet, the whatever you want to call it. So tell me about the feeling thermometer. It's another one that you've got in the book. Yeah. So I've been using these for like a bajillion years, it feels like, <laughs> because it's such a great way for kids to check in on how they're doing. So essentially it's just a giant thermometer, right? And, and you're taking your emotional temperature throughout the day. Now you can write in, let's say your kid tends to be a worrier. Um, you could write at the top of it that it's a worry thermometer and you use it specific to evaluate worry. So they color in just like a temperature goes up when the, you know, when the when the temperature is rising outside, uh, how the mercury goes up in the thermometer, they would color in in the thermometer how much they felt worried that day. So did they feel just a little bit at the bottom or did they feel midway through or did they get all the way to the top? And then I also kind of pair that with at the bottom, if they're only reaching sort of that bottom level, then I can handle, I'm doing great. I can handle it on my own. If they get to the midpoint, do they need some adult help? Do they need a connection? What do they need? If they're really hitting their boiling point, they're so worried, they can't even get through their day. You know, do they need their teacher to check in on them? Do they need their teacher to call home? You know, what, what is the need that would help them to get through that? So it's just really a tool for kids to learn to evaluate their own mood shifts and emotions throughout the day. And so I had like a personal story I just shared on my Facebook live. Um, it just happened to me yesterday. And again, being a counselor and being so thankful for some of the skills that we learn in our training that maybe the yeah. general public doesn't. But, you know, I really am very um, I, I, I try to walk the talk. So I am on a really strict news diet because I find that that really brings me down and I do social media, but I keep it very limited because it brings me down. Well, yesterday I was out and I I was sitting at a bar having dinner after my dance class and the dance class, I was really happy and I checked in on my mood and I thought that was really great. I was doing something positive, I was being energetic, um, moving my body, I, feeling really good. And then I'm sitting in front of the news feed, which I don't watch. I don't watch television. And so I get the Sunday New York Times. I, I get my news that way. And so I'm watching the news and I'm watching my mood from my dance class go down, uh-huh. down, 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 down. And I thought, oh, my goodness, if you're the teen who is constantly tied to their phone and yep. in, in this constant loop of comparison or bad news or the Twitter feed or whatever it might be. I mean, here I only just had this short, maybe 20 minute experience of just watching a news cycle bring me down. But I was monitoring myself. I was using my own internal thermometer. I'm not even sure if people weren't paying attention that on a conscious level, they would have even noticed the mood shifted and why? Yeah. Yep. Just to be aware so that you can say that doesn't bring me up. That brings me down. Connecting the dots between the two right there is a life skill. Definitely. And I did with teenagers, you know, you're mentioning teenagers and they have so many shifts, of course, by design anyway, but I often, you know, they love their apps and there is a mood meter app that's really, really great because it helps them to just gives them a place to check in on themselves a few times a day and, and kind of keep tabs on what are the things that 
make you green and what are the things that make you red? You know, it's important. My daughter has an app that, that they, you kind of do a little check-in and then it guides you to which meditation would be helpful for that particular day or whatever. And she, and she loves that. Yeah. Is there a gender difference? Because I had two girls. So do you see any gender difference with this? With using apps like that? Well, or just, or just with how you um, look at your clientele and kids and stress and, you know, emotionality. They're all really stressed right now is what I'm finding. And I'm sure you're experiencing the same. I mean, like you said, there was a small group that were kind of happy being home, but now the stress for them is reintegrating and getting back into the the school lifestyle that maybe doesn't work for them. You know, compulsory schooling is not for everyone, but mostly everyone goes through it. So that's kind of a disconnect, but yeah, no, I'm finding, um, I mean, I have work with a lot of girls right now and with a lot of LGBTQ youth right now. So, you know, those two populations in particular are struggling for a variety of reasons, but I do find that boys are struggling too. And, you know, one thing about boys, I was talking to a group of middle school boys recently is just, they're socialized to just get through it, you know, put on your brave face and get still in 2021, they're still socialized to get on your brave face, tie up your sneakers and get through it. And they don't get to talk as much, or they don't feel like they can, you know, even just, um, you know, chat groups between my teenage son and my teenage daughter, the boys aren't talking about feelings. They're comparing things and they're making jokes. The girls are talking about feelings. So um, I think in some ways that's an extra burden on, on boys is that they don't really have the language or the support systems in place. And I'm assuming then that a workbook like yours would be just that much a greater tool for the male population because doing an exercise in a book that's private, confidential, you don't have to talk to your friends. You don't have to like share with your parents. You can just do your work, just quietly do your work. Yep, absolutely. Because a lot, and you see it too. I mean, when you start researching books on, you know, just development and things that for kids, there's a lot marketed for girls and not as much for boys. It's a much slimmer market when we're thinking about boys. And, you know, they have very complex emotions. Um, Puberty does a number on their brains and their emotional systems there too, but they don't get the same input and they don't get the same leeway. You know, sometimes people will say things about girls like, oh, they're being dramatic or, oh, this is just what girls do, which I disagree with all of that. But at least they think about it. With boys, it's just like, why are you doing that? You know, stop doing that. Don't do that. Knock it off. You're misbehaving. They don't think about the why. Why are they acting the way they act? What's underneath that iceberg? What's the feeling? You know, we we don't go there with boys and we need to. So, so interesting. What else in terms of the content in the the gems of this uh, workbook can we tell parents about today? Yeah, I think The most important thing is it's just, it's written in a very age appropriate way for even very young kids to understand. It's a great connection tool, I think, for parents or grownups to use with their kids. Um, It helps, uh, what I'm finding the feedback so far is it helps adults as much as it helps the kids. So, you know, doing these little exercises together or, you know, doing some separately and then kind of coming back and talking about it together. It's just a good way for families to reconnect right now and really hit the reset on stress and figure out what works for them in terms of managing it. Wonderful. And so if people want to find you, do more, continue on, what else is up and coming for you? How can people follow and learn more? 
Um, the two best places to find me are Instagram, the Katie F Hurley on Instagram and Katie Hurley LCSW on Facebook. I have a really great Facebook community of parents who engage a lot and kind of share their own tips and support each other. So that's a lovely, it's a good part of Facebook. I know not all Facebook is good, but that's one of the good corners. Um, I share a lot of info on Twitter, but that's more, you know, not as much connection as just sharing information. So happy to connect with anybody in any of those places. And I'm a terrible emailer, but if you feel free to reach out and I'll get to it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> You're busy. You're busy helping kids. It's okay. Everyone understands. Well, I'll put lots of links up in the show notes and I thank you for our time today. I thank you for your contribution and good luck with the rest of the book launch. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.